2: very warm welcome to another episode of wellness with liz earl now if you've been listening along to season six you will have heard the three-part incontinence special we published earlier this year and it has been so heartening to hear that so many of you found the information shared helpful and due to popular demand we have decided to return to the issue for one final fabulous episode and I am truly delighted to be joined in my studios today by Elaine Miller. Now Elaine is many things but she is a physiotherapist who specialised in sports physio at the start of her career. Having had three children however she began to experience incontinence and bladder weakness and this personal experience led her to specialise in this area professionally. But she is also a hugely talented stand-up comedian and has won this taboo with her sellout gusset grippers it won the weirdest show of the fringe in edinburgh and she has since toured in australia Canada and New Zealand. Welcome, Elaine. Thank you for having me. I was so thrilled. I was beyond excited when I finally joined the dots and realized that, yes, Elaine the physio was coming into chat. But, Elaine, the gusset gripper, <laughs> I mean, I started following you on Twitter not that long ago because you'd been recommended. I could see from everybody else I was following and being kind of linked into. Mm-hmm. And I discovered your account and the humor that you bring to this subject and your take on it is. Obviously backed up with professional knowledge, but you just inject something else.
1: There's quite a lot of funny in the situations that people get into; they're excruciatingly embarrassing, which is where the humour comes <laughs> so from. So Comedy and, is a natural, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and when things are taboo, then it naturally lends itself to to you know to humour and to to making things funnier. Makes it easier to deal with. Yes, as long as you're not poking fun at the person. that's yes. not funny because no. it is embarrassing. Yeah, but the situations that that these. Um, problems create can be well I wrote a show out of it yeah amazing and not only
2: that but an award winning one brilliant so let's start at the beginning with your experience why did you become so passionate about this
1: subject because it's under addressed and it's very common so the stats are that one in three women wet themselves one in three and to be honest I think that that's underestimate the situation if you took a trampoline to any school gate and said to anybody there do you want to go on my trampoline they're not going to go on it (laughs) so the one in figure one in three figure comes from clinic but hardly anybody comes to clinic it's only about a quarter of women will ever seek help the rest of them just buy pads in the supermarket and feel sad feel why do you think there's this embarrassment about it um i don't know we haven't i haven't found any data looking at it but what i Do know, is I can't find a society where not having bowel or bladder control is acceptable unless you're a baby. Right, it's just something that's really needed for our sense of dignity to be mm. clean and dry. And um, we're not warned about it. I mean, I'm the mother of five, and and you
2: know, obviously, I was told to do my pelvic floors, but there was no real enlightenment or offer of help or mm. support. And yeah. and it's extraordinary, is it, that post childbirth it can be such a big problem.
1: Yep, it's one in two postnatal women. And if you wet yourself in um, the last six weeks of pregnancy or the first six weeks of um, having had the baby, then that doubles your risk of postnatal depression Does it really? But it's not even just the the postnatal women because they respond really well to treatment. It's often later on. If you don't do anything about it, then you're still likely to be leaking when the baby's 12 and starting high school. And if you don't do anything about it, continuing it impacts on everything that you want to do. And the second most common reason for a woman to move into residential care, into nursing care, is incontinence. Right. a lot of these women will just have had old birth injuries that if we'd got hold of her earlier, if we got hold of her when she was menopausal and said do your pelvic floor exercises can we help you with anything maybe they wouldn't be having to move yeah I mean
2: we do talk a lot about menopause here on this show Mm. do you find that that's a key time for women to come forward
1: yeah the loss of estrogen impacts on the pelvic floor muscles and the ligaments that they attach onto. right so often women are absolutely fine until they're menopausal it's weird isn't it because
2: we often think about hot flushes and all those traditional symptoms but we're not told that actually incontinence is one of the joys that can suddenly pop up unexpectedly. This is
1: the shame thing as well, because ageing... You know, there's taboos and sure. stigma around ageing, but there's a lot of lot of taboos to do with anything to do with female genitals. And if you're going to talk about <laughs> incontinence, you're talking about fannies. Yeah. So <laughs> people <That's> blush.
2: <laughs> now, one of the things that I've heard about, particularly after childbirth and, and when women do seek help and they seek surgical help, is having this thing called the mesh. Mm-hmm. And there's obviously been quite a lot of controversy in the media about that. Talk us through it, because the mesh is something that we've not ever really talked about on this show before.
1: So conservative treatment, physio doing your pelvic floor exercises works for the majority of people, but there will be a number of women who perhaps have got really significant vaginal prolapse or something that's causing their, their, their condition that won't be helped just with simple treatment. So historically the surgery that they used to do was like a really complex nip and tuck that they would do with their own tissue but it's a big operation it would take about five hours and it's got a six hour six week recovery rate wow so it's a big surgery and it would mean that there's lots of women that couldn't have that operation because it's which bits would they nip and tuck um, with the, well, I'm not a surgeon, but the the structures that are supporting the vagina and mm. the bladder, they would um, if those have become weakened and the organs that are sitting up are not being supported properly by the pelvic floor, then it's the underneath bit that they're tightening to make sure that things stay up where they should be. Right. So the there was old technology of using a patch um, for an abdominal hernia, and the pharmaceuticals thought this might work for uh, prolapse. So they just Use the old technology, stuck it into vagina. That should be happy days. And for lots and lots of women, it has worked and it's been really successful. Mm-hmm. But they didn't have to test the implants because they already had approval for, for hernia for hernia. And it turns out that vaginas and abdominal com- um, cavities aren't quite the same thing. So for some women, the mesh has failed and become com- it's caused all sorts of complications. And a, a big number of women have been left disabled because oh of the my mesh goodness. once it's in removing it is complex is it so it's something operation. that you
2: have in for life it's it's an well, implanted part, thing part of the
1: problem with the mesh was that some of them have um, fragmented so then you've got bits floating around oh my goodness so there's been a lot of women present with joint problems and things like that really yeah it's, it's so
2: what would women do i mean if, if you're somebody who's listening who's had the mesh what would your advice be?
1: Well, for the majority of people that have had it, it's mm-hmm. all right. Okay, and it's not going to experience. suddenly
2: disintegrate. It's, is it something to keep an eye on?
1: We, if if somebody's starting to get, if they've had mesh and they're starting to get pain, pelvic pain or joint pain, then they need to go and get that found up. Joint pain that you might not think is mm-hmm. to do with your mesh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And for most people, that I don't want to scare people. For no, sure, people, it's just an right, awareness. Mm-hmm. But for the ones that it, they've not had a positive outcome, it has been... Quite devastating for some of them. Gosh. Um, and what's
2: the answer then? Can they have those bits of disjointed mesh removed?
1: Yeah, but the surgery's been suspended now in the UK. Really? Yeah. And is that a good thing or not? It's been suspended because of the number of people that have been injured. Once right. they started looking at it, they were like, there's stuff going on, we need to do some research and find out. So, Oh my goodness. So, Presumably
2: there's support groups
1: and advice online yeah, is there that yeah, people can access? Yeah, there's a couple of really good organisations in Scotland. There's the Scottish Mesh Survivor Group, and in England it's Sling the Mesh that Kath Sampson runs. Right. and they're, they're, It's an interesting situation because these women have found each other online and galvanised. And mm. become very politically active, and I'm not aware of any other patient group that have managed to get politicians to tell clinicians we need to stop this and have a look at it. Right. There's a big review going on at the moment that Baroness Cumberledge is leading, and it's 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 interesting to see how it's panning out. Yes, but at the moment in the NHS there's no mesh surgery. Gosh. Mm. Wow. Now, you talked about the fact that if you do your
2: pelvic floor post-pregnancy, mm-hmm. then actually you can make a big difference and may not have to have the mesh or any yes. other treatment. Yeah. I've also read studies and statistics that say that pelvic floor doesn't work in mm-hmm. a lot of women and that actually we're kind of squeezing almost
1: unnecessarily. What's your view on that? Well, the data, the scientific data, shows that if women do... Pelvic floor contractions, three times a day for three months, between 60 and 70% of them will be dry if they've got stress incontinence and not anything more complicated than that. Mm -hmm. There is lots of other data that's perhaps not scientifically robust that um, would contradict that. But often that data has been generated by companies that have got a commercial interest in a product that they're wanting to sell. Right. Sell you more pads, for example. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Okay. It's, it, it's like any science. You've got to look at where the money comes from. Yeah, so always if it's just a robust study, there's a thing called the Cochrane Review where they yes. look at decent evidence. And there's multiple Cochrane Reviews saying that this stuff works. Right. And so don't give up. Don't. Do the pelvic floor. If they don't work, come to clinic. Right. And how
2: do you get a referral to somebody like you? You go to your GP, do you?
1: Yeah, but a lot of places have self-referral systems now because we know that there's barriers to engagement and one of them is this is embarrassing to talk about. So if you Mm. you have to go and speak to a young male GP, then (laughs) it puts you off. So um, if you just look at... Google who your local physio department is mm-hmm. and ask to speak to the pelvic health or the women's health physio and often there's a self-referral system. You just go straight to us. Brilliant. Mm. And
2: what would you say to somebody coming in and presenting with an incontinence issue? What would your sort of steps be? Well, how would you talk to them? I'm just really smiley that they're there. <laughs> <'cause>, <laughs> that's the first step. Because they get better. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great, that's a great <laughs> asset, isn't it? They're going to get better.
1: Yeah, and it's really amazing. Like I often meet women uh, that have been licking for 30 years and they're sad about it because they've stopped sure. exercising they're worrying about playing with their grandchildren because they're worried that they're going to embarrass themselves mm. and very quickly they everybody can be helped most people can be cured that's really a positive thing and mm-hmm. there's very
2: few health conditions actually where you can say that with such certainty
1: i'd like to say that it's just I'm a really good clinician but it's I, not well it's just i think the, that there's quite a lot of evidence obviously <laughs> comes
2: into it so pelvic floor exercises are something that you would obviously give everybody
1: Yes there's an there's decent evidence that if you do pelvic floor exercises it has a protective element against um, developing vaginal prolapse and if you have a prolapse which is 50% of women over the age of 50 it can maintain it as long as the, the internal organs aren't extruding then mm. it's worth doing your pelvic floor Talk exercises. Talk us through what is a prolapse? So if you think about a pelvis um, and a brought one but you won't see it in the podcast well we're
2: also recording this so we might actually do a little clip this is what a pelvis looks like if you're looking
1: at it online so there's the ring of bone and it's just got a hole at the bottom which is where the muscles are so the job of your pelvic floor is to provide a floor for your pelvis it's okay really really easy anatomy (laughs) does what it says Um, and above this you've got your bladder your vagina and your rectum sitting so the job of the muscles is to support those organs Right. and if that's not working efficiently because either the muscle's have been damaged by a birth injury or you've got spasm um, in there for whatever reason um, or if it, because of the loss of oestrogen the ligaments that the muscles attach onto have changed mm. they've started to lengthen um, then the mechanics of all of this starts to become less efficient right. so then the organs the bladder the rectum and the vagina instead of staying tucked up where they belong they just lean into the vaginal vault Sorry, the uterus leans into the vaginal vault. So women sometimes don't have any symptoms at all about prolapse. And sometimes Mm -hmm. they feel a bit of an aching, particularly at the end of the day or a dragging feeling. Can you feel feel it?
2: You know, if you if you put your fingers inside, can you feel that your organs Mm -hmm.
1: have sort of slipped down? Yeah, yeah. That's what we would do in the examination to see if there's any shifting. Um, But often women are unaware of it themselves because you don't have a lot of nerve sensation in your vagina. Do we, we know not? That? I would no. have thought we would have had lots. <laughs> well, because if then if you were having a baby, you would feel a yeah. lot more. Okay. So the, the nerve endings are all externally in the vulva, and ah. vaginas are pretty numb. There's pressure are sensations. They? There's you you can't feel heat or light touch up a vagina. I, isn't that so fascinating? You should really know this stuff. I, like, why do we not tell women that the yeah. party and all the fun nerve endings are in your vulva? They're in the outside. Okay, bit. so
2: focus on the outside. So this is a message to the
1: guys as well, perhaps. <laughs> yes, that's right. not so much about what's going in as yeah. what's going on. About fifty percent of women aren't sure about what's their vagina and what's their vulva. Because so we tell don't us talk what's the difference. It.
2: I mean, we don't. I mean, when you, I know that when you Google words like vagina, you just get a load of porn that comes yeah. up on your yeah. on your screen, which is not helpful when you're trying to look at something anatomical. Uh
1: huh. And also then, if you've got a problem, you don't have the language to be able to go and articulate that to your yeah. GP So what's the difference help? between a vulva and a vagina? If you're looking at it, it's your vulva and if you or somebody else is fishing about in there, that's your vagina. Right, okay now you're sitting
2: here, you've got a couple of other bits on the sofa with you, including you have brought a plastic clitoris is this right? <laughs> yes. I think this is the first time that I've ever seen anybody pull out the clitoris from their handbag um, it's very nice to give it the, the light of day here.
1: Mm. So My friend made it for me, it's a 3D no, printing pattern. a 3D printed clitoris and he's a teacher and he got his pupils to make me a clitoris
2: <laughs> it looks a bit
1: like that little there was that little
2: plasticine character called morph
1: yes it on does, on actually. i don't know
2: art something or other on on tv like tony but the Hart. tony Hart. yeah <laughs> it, it could be a version of morph this little plasticine figure i'm trying to describe it for people who can't see with these sort of long arms and long thick legs mm-hmm. but there's just a the little tiny sort of nodule bit mm-hmm. which presumably is the external
1: bit mm-hmm. is it but all the the there's a load more to the clitoris that goes on inside. It wasn't properly investigated from an anatomical point of view until 1996.
2: No way. We. Isn't that shocking? <laughs> Nobody thought, what's this incredibly important nope. structure? Nope. So how does it work then? Why have we only got a tiny bit on the outside and all this load of gubbins on the inside?
1: Yeah, it's a much... So originally, like, you know, people know where their clitoris is, but they, it's just a tiny wee button bit. Yeah. And underneath it, you've got two legs, two that go down the inside of the labia and two that go round the vagina. And they think that's what the G-spot is now, that effectively ah. your vagina's getting hugged by this right. sensitive tissue. And okay. so if you're into penetrative sex, then you're getting stimulation from the inside out rather than right. the other way around. So, so it's not
2: your vagina that's that's giving, a, you know, that leading to orgasm. It's it's the tissues around it that come from the internal bit of the mm-hmm. clitoris. They
1: think so. Freud was wrong.
2: <laughs> OK. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and the G-spot, how, how do we identify where that is? Yeah. I mean, or is
1: it? does it exist? Is it a real thing? It's a debate. There's people who Why believe that G-spot? they have one. After some man that decided that it was a thing. Really? Yeah. It's like the Graham spot or something, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Gordon, maybe he was Scottish, I don't know. He was very pleased with himself anyway. Um, and it's it, it's a point that we don't understand about female sexual function. No. And as you get older, particularly once you're menopausal, because of vaginal atrophy that happens because of the loss of oestrogen, it affects the structures of the clitoris. Really? So the the um, the skin that's supporting it and all of the tissues that are around there, they're all affected by vaginal yeah. atrophy. It's it's not just the wall of the. Vagina I mean, I have heard
2: as clitoral atrophy, so presumably that's yeah. the same thing. Is yeah. it? It's affecting those tissues. So that's
1: why I get quite cross about women who aren't on vaginal oestrogen yes. when they they need it, because yeah. the symptoms of living with this it's really itchy, it's really uncomfortable, yeah. and it's not just you know around the vagina, the skin around or the tissues around the urethra start to. Mm. Um, become thinner as well so you're more prone to getting urinary tract infections yeah
2: it's amazing isn't it the rise of things like cystitis and UTIs urinary tract infections caused by low estrogen from our sort of mid-40s or onwards
1: and it really impacts on quality of life yes so why should we put up with it
2: and of course having vaginal estrogen is super safe I know there's yeah. been lots of studies, wrong studies, you know, raising the risk of breast cancer and all of that. But that's very much about the oral kind of HRT yeah. that you take. Mm-hmm. But certainly having vaginal oestrogen in terms of creams and pessaries. Yeah. Yeah. Even people with breast cancer That's can have right. it because it doesn't circulate through the body, does it? It That's just right. stays within the vaginal wall.
1: And the, the difference that that makes to women's well-being, for instance, a friend of mine's a geriatrician and he's started putting all of his um, female patients that admitted onto the ward onto vaginal oestrogen because of the reduction in urinary tract infections. And also it means that then they're not hurrying to get to the toilet. And hurrying right. when you're older is a risk of fall. Of course. And if you fall and break your hip... Because you're rushing to the loo incontinence and falls is really, really linked. Is it? Mm-hmm. It's amazing,
2: isn't it? These things that you don't think about, and when you
1: extrapolate them out then, and realise the consequences. And most of these conditions could be helped if we can get them into clinic. Yeah. Even in older, frail women, they can. usually right. they can be helped.
2: And even older women, presumably those in care homes, for example, can still benefit from vaginal oestrogen.
1: Yeah, there was a study done in um, Canada, I think, where they were looking at women who were in, in residential care, but they were mentally very, very alert. And they got mm. them doing pelvic floor exercises. And I forget the data off the top of my head, but like six months later, I think it was about 60% of them were still dry that's amazing Amazing. isn't it
2: you know what really annoys me is the rise in the sale of incontinence pads Mm -hmm. and sort of adult nappies Mm -hmm. and just normalizing it I was in my local um high street chemist shop which remained nameless and I was just looking at this this massive array on the shelves and the language that was being used on the packaging it was talking about normal flow Mm -hmm. or heavy flow it's like There's nothing normal about any kind of Mm -hmm. urinary incontinence flow. Why are you trying to pretend that it's normal, like having a normal period or a heavy period?
1: Yeah, I'm a bit cross about all that. The Royal College of Nurses and the Royal College of Midwives um, had a successful complaint through the um, Advertising Standards Agency about the language that the pad manufacturers use. Really? Um, um, So there does seem to be an increasing appetite to consider the way that they're approaching that, but it'll be interesting to see whether that leads to actual change the problem is that pads are really good products, like it's important not to you know, suggest that pads are inappropriate because if they give women confidence and let them get out of the house and participate in sure. their lives, that's a really really good thing, mm. but to say that you know that there's one of the companies actually says in their adverts it's just normal it's what happens and it's factually incorrect there's another one where they're they're suggesting that for young women you know that even though i don't want to use their their slogans but they try and minimize the impact that this stuff has on a woman's life just by saying deal with it buy our pads and just get on with life yeah and actually What I would like to see is um, industry working with healthcare much better so that mm. we could put health promotion on the packaging. Mm-hmm. Yes, to because say this is how you your this is you might need estrogen, yeah, all of this. That would target the people that yeah. we want to be coming into clinic. Yes. And pads are, are great. You know, I've seen people that can't manage pads. There's been lots of work done um, politically looking at period poverty for yes. people that can't um, manage in their budget to mm-hmm. buy products. Well, pad poverty is a thing as well yeah. And incontinence doesn't go away Periods will stop with age yeah. But incontinence just gets worse and worse So you're going to need more and more pads treatment. And it's taken
2: up more and more of the family budget mm-hmm. On something that is hopefully not necessary Or can
1: be reduced It's about a grand a year if they're buying <gasps> the big pads And about 50% of maxi pads Are bought for bladder management They're too embarrassed to buy an no, incontinence pad so they'll go and so buy Sanitary towels yeah. That is extraordinary
0: and Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
2: And then, of course, we're so aware these days of plastic pollution. Yes. And of course, they're filled with microplastics. Yes. They don't break down. They don't biodegrade. No, They end a, up in landfill and in the oceans.
1: There's a company, Natric, here that do um, bi- biodegradable menstrual products and incontinence pads and they've got some really interesting data about each one takes 500 years to break down and we've got an aging population yes so these products are becoming more and more common in landfill yes. and we could reduce you know reduce reuse recycle we could reduce the number quite easily just by talking about this stuff and yeah. saying to women it's common it's not normal you don't need to put up with it yeah do your pelvic floor exercises and if it doesn't work then come to clinic.
2: Fantastic. And of course, in talking to women and getting that message across, Gusset Grippers, your show, when did you become the Gusset
1: Gripper? <laughs> <laughs> Much to my children's horror. Um, <laughs> um, I started doing it in 2013 because I'd had a patient come in that had been leaking for about 40 years and she was better than two sessions. And I got really cross because... It's not cross with her, but yes, it's very frustrating because yeah. they get better. And so I thought only about 25% of women ever seek help. What happens if we go out? I had a hobby of doing stand-up, so I landed up writing a couple of short sets. And when I did one at the um, the comedy club, four women came and spoke to me afterwards. Now, they didn't know I was a physio. They just were like, solidarity, sister, me too. I told a story about wetting myself in the doorstep that had borrowed from a patient she told me it would be all right she was very funny and um what was the story um she had wet <laughs> she'd put a key in the lock and then wet herself which is really common because normally it's um called urgency you should be able to wait between two and four hours between first feeling the urge to pee and actually going really it's a so a long time that is a long time if you think you need the loo you yeah. should be able to wait two to four hours mm-hmm. four hours is is ideal but will let you get away with two um and anything less than that is not normal really so, not normal Oh my goodness I'm writing note to self here okay <laughs> <laughs> and it's common when you put the key in the door because yeah. your bladder learns by conditioning that's what potty training is you want the child to learn to go to the toilet on yeah. an appropriate place not just whatever they fancy even if they're you know, a student and on the way <laughs> home after a couple of pints. Um, <laughs> so normally when you go home, the first thing you do is go to the toilet. Yes. So eventually your bladder gets conditioned into, I'm going home, I'm going to the toilet So soon. key in the door, that's it, muscles it release. Uh-huh. And it responds really, really well to behavioural management. And if that doesn't work, and this can be a debilitating condition so that people sure. can't leave the house, they can't go yeah. on public transport, they can't work but there's medication things that can help with overactive bladder if conservative treatment doesn't work. Right. So this woman was telling me this story about wetting herself on the doorstep, and she was from Glasgow, so she was, you know, very funny anyway. And I kind of stole <laughs> her story and thought then, after these four women mentioned it, maybe this would work. What would happen if you gave evidence-based information in a ridiculous setting, like in a comedy place? And what seems to happen <laughs> is, if I'm making a joke about an incontinence pad... And the women that using incontinence pads get the joke, they start laughing. Mm. And then the women that are ashamed because they've been using incontinence pads know that they're not in their own, they're not alone because yeah. they get the joke as well. You've got permission to laugh. And the social and isolation of this stuff is huge. Yeah. People are just embarrassed. yeah.
2: Well, we are so loving the fact that we can shine spotlights on these taboos, which are not funny, but there is obviously a huge amount of humour as in the storytelling. So your award winning show, how did that come about? Was, were you, did you design it as a gusset gripping show?
1: Yeah. Um, Was it all
2: about incontinence?
1: yeah and prolapse and um orgasm and because we don't educate in school in sex ed you don't get taught about what sexual function is and about what's normal and what's not normal so if you can't if you don't understand what your own anatomy is you can't identify if you've got a problem you know you can't identify um for instance like vulval cancer if you don't know what your normal is how do you know if something's going wrong yeah no interestingly
2: i mean we had a, a podcast earlier and uh, with a physio who was saying you've got to get a mirror out and take a look yeah You know, When did we last look at our bits and see what they look like, spotting changes, picking up early gynaecological cancers, that you can see the outward sign of something that doesn't look quite
1: right. I'd put that into sex ed in schools. Give them it as homework, not in class. That would probably be a a bit of a stretch for the education system. But give them a a map of what their anatomy is and see Mm -hmm. if they can find their urethra. Lots of women think they pee out of their vagina because nobody's ever explained to them where your pee hole is. Yes. Usually somewhere north of the vagina. And um why should they not know? Yeah. So I would yeah, so the aim of the show mm. was that people would leave knowing what a pelvic floor is, what it mm-hmm. does, why having a good one is smashing and where to take mm. it if they think it's wonky. Nice. Um and if you have good strong pelvic floor, the motivating factor is it improves your orgasms right quite quickly so why is that how how does that work then because an orgasm is in part a flickering contraction of a pelvic floor and that's true of both sexes and um but men only get four to six of these sort of cycles and women get 10 to 12 and that's that's a shame um so we (laughs) we are designed to have more orgasm women have stronger and longer orgasms Mm. yeah so what's with the thing about female ejaculation yeah, that, I I don't know is the answer to that. There's been various studies that say it's not a thing that there's um, no evidence for it, or it's it's urine. It's somebody that's mm. losing control of their of their bladder at that point. The women who report that they have mm. that they are able to ejaculate get very cross about that and right. say no, it's not. It's something different.
2: Well, I have read studies actually that have analysed the fluid and mm-hmm. say it's not urine. Mm-hmm. That it's and it's clear and it you know it has yeah. a different. Uh, I don't know quite what the purpose is. Those ones are saying it's
1: something to do with the skin glands, which is like um, where some of the lubrication comes from. Interesting. But I don't know the gynaecologists see it's not a thing do they really yeah yeah there is
2: quite a lot online i always feel quite nervous about googling it though because again you know you get i know i'm interested from a a kind of a health perspective and you know talking about all these pelvic health issues but you do get some weird stuff some education (laughs) i mean it's like whoa i did not need to see that image (laughs) (laughs) it just comes up onto the screen so there is a warning if you are tempted to look online i think we need to go to to other um (laughs) other bodies of evidence perhaps how nervous were you when you did your first show and you were talking about all this
1: I was a little bit nervous because I thought I was doing a show at lunchtime, it was in the Edinburgh Fringe, and I live in Edinburgh so it wasn't a mm. huge stretch to do it but it was a show at lunchtime about vaginas in a basement bar I thought, nobody's going to come to this and the Fringe is busy, there's about 3,000 shows on, so getting an audience is quite yeah. a challenge, I think the average Fringe audience is four um, <laughs> right. you're quite pleased if there's anybody there, and I had 120 people at the weekend And I would like to think that that's because I'm so funny. But um, it's just because women are desperate for this information. That is extraordinary. And then you won the award which is apparently a compliment, getting the weirdest show of the Fringe. But if you've been to Edinburgh... Oh, I mean, hey, you <laughs> put on your CV... <laughs> you know, well, I'm sure there's
2: a lot of super weird stuff, but, you know, to be an award winner from the Edinburgh Fringe, has that resulted in a whole load more bookings?
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting. If you get positive mm. reviews and you get good feedback and you can shift seats, then it mm. does help. So last year, the the, it, the show does sell out. It's, it, yeah. it does work. And how much do you do these days in addition to your day job? I'm going to Australia. Are you? Yeah, I'm You're going taking to the, the Fringes. show to Australia? Yeah, yeah. That's so amazing. So I'm going out to do the Perth and Adelaide Fringe and I'm going to Melbourne for a few days the australian government fund a bunch of like continence care that we don't have funded in the uk we don't have any real figures in the uk about statistics and mm. specific to costs but australia calculated it was costing their government 43 billion dollars a year billion billion because they included things like the hip fractures that are associated right. with it so it was all the secondary costs that's amazingly insightful mm-hmm. of them and forward a thinking really good bit of work so they have lots of outreach programs they have tv adverts they have really Interesting and very innovative ways of trying to engage the public, mm. which we are way behind with here because we don't have yeah. central funding. Right. So um, I'm going to go and meet up with some of them and pick their brains, and then see. If I, I can gather, get I mean,
2: I, I follow a few uh, Australian medics actually on on Twitter and, and online, and they do seem to be far more forward thinking. And I know even things like the licensing of testosterone for women oh, yeah. is a standard thing in Western Australia. There's a product that mm-hmm. you can now get over here on license which Mm -hmm. is unusual because it's you know was was only seen as the preserve of of men Mm. but also i didn't realize that women produce more testosterone in their ovaries than estrogen and it's a really important hormone for us and obviously as all our hormones in that area decline as with you know midlife and beyond yeah we need to be looking more at it
1: this states has on that as well but i don't Mm. think i don't even think that it's I'm trying to think of if I know anybody. I don't think it's prescribed routinely at all in the UK. No, it's not. You have to get it
2: off-license from your GP Uh, or from your menopause specialist. You can get it. I mean, Mm -hmm. doctors obviously prescribe off-license all the time, Mm -hmm. but they don't know very much about it. But for often, it it seems to be the missing link for so many women it's obviously linked with libido and people think about it as sexual function but it also Mm -hmm. has a huge impact on brain and cognitive function and can help with mental clarity and memory so it's often the kind of the missing piece you get your estrogen sorted your progesterone and then the testosterone
1: is like the third piece it amazes me about how little we know about this stuff still and i mean women's health
2: care is is generally underfunded wouldn't you say
1: it's it's interesting about which bits are not being looked at. You know, If if it's only in 1996, we looked at the state of a clitoris properly, yes. what does that say? Yes. Know, we knew quite a lot about erections by 1996. It was quite a lot of medication to yes. help men's sexual function.
2: But it's available. But, but for women, it's just seen as not as an
1: imperative
2: not something that needs to happen. And
1: then when you look at the information that women are getting when they're getting older, mm-hmm. it's as if, well, if you're not having sex to make ba- to make babies, what's well, the point? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But so, you don't say
2: that to guys. No, they wouldn't. It's, it's just a given, you know, you mm-hmm. can only do it if you're going to procreate. That would be a very
1: interesting message, wouldn't it? I had a lady come into clinic and she was 84. And I said to her, look, I asked these questions of everybody. Are you sexually active? And is this interfering with your Mm-hmm. in what you want to be doing. And she she was very Edinburgh and very stern and she said, I'm 84 dear, I'm not dead. I, I love like, that. Oh, you're who I want to be when that I grow that is up. amazing, isn't it? And she was widowed, but she was buying online various things to just entertain herself of an afternoon. Yeah. I'm like, good for you. Yeah.
2: Is it important that we do that, that we stay sexually active? I mean, does that have a role within pelvic health? Is it helping our pelvic floor?
1: No, um, but it might be if that's part of your quality of life, then Mm, fair enough. And for lots and lots of people it is. Yeah. Yeah, but you wouldn't do any harm by not. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So when women come to see the show in particular, is
1: there kind of one message that you hope they leave with? Yes, don't put up with it, because these things are so common, but they're not normal. It's not normal to leak pee, poo, or gas at any point in your life, no matter how old you are, whether you've had kids, whether you haven't had kids, which sex you are, it doesn't matter. Don't put up with it. Please don't, because it stops people from doing what they want to do, and life is short.
0: And plus, it makes
1: your orgasms better, so that's quite good. (laughs) (laughs) I love it when you get a tangible
2: benefit. And in terms of um, health funding, I know that you've got some issues or you've talked before about how you think monies could be better spent. What would you like to
1: see... Where would you like to see funds being put? I would put... I would put this stuff into sex ed so that it's then revisited when people when women are having children and then again when the kids are starting school we should be linking into bowel screening and breast screening because Mm -hmm. those of everybody gets those letters in the house so at those times if we then said to them by the way are you leaking did you know that there's help available whereas it's not I can't find a forum where this is asked normally if we just made it more public and you're less absolutely right. I mean I, I
2: I was recalled for a health screen, um, I think age fifty, there's a standard letter that comes out. Mm-hmm. And you get your mammograms and you get offered bowel screening now, but absolutely, I mean, in
1: no literature that I've seen has anybody asked that question. So I'd quite like to do a, a public health campaign about pelvic health and just to explain to people what is normal what is not, where you can seek help and these are the things that you can try on your own Mm. Um, when you look at things like for um, activity levels trying to get people to engage in exercises is challenging but the This Girl Can campaign was amazing and Tell me about that. What's this They had, um, it was TV adverts, and they had images of women of all sorts of shapes and sizes doing things that were active. So there was a woman on a bike cycling up a hill. She maybe looked to me like she was in her, maybe in her late 50s, and she was saying, I'm going really slow, but I'm going faster than the people in the city. Love it. And it was yep. all things that were a wee bit tongue-in-cheek, yeah. but completely correct. Yeah. You're, you're doing it. You may not be the fastest. You might not yeah. be the athlete. But you're doing it, and that's a positive thing being for active. your mm-hmm. I remember
2: talking to Meg Matthews, um, the the Brit mm-hmm. pop rock chick icon. who's <laughs> very vocal on menopause and all of that. And she was saying that she stopped wearing her normal pink or flesh coloured leggings to the gym mm-hmm. because she was embarrassed about potentially leaking. And so yeah. she just kind of stuck to black, thinking, well, at least that's not going to show. Yeah, it's a
1: uniform. And you could do a lot through gyms as well, because they all have mm. signs saying, please wipe the equipment down after use. <laughs> I have never of, really thought about why those they signs sort are of there. Imply it's for sweat, but it's not always sweat. <laughs>
2: I'm going to take my wet wipes. I thought, you, know, you don't feel like wet wipes because they're full of microplastics. I'm going to take, I don't know, find something, tissues. A bucket of bleach.
1: <laughs> but it's a problem because if your BMI is over 36. Your BMI, so your body if, mass index. Yeah. So, if, so if, you're, if you're overweight. If you're carrying extra weight and you mm. run, it increases the likelihood that you're going to wet yourself. Mm. But if you, um, so the, the data is that every time your heel hits the ground, if you're running, there's three times your body weight and impact really? rattling up into your pelvic floor. So that's why some women can manage to run for a bus, but they couldn't do park run because the pelvic floor just can't take the impact. Um, But if you lose small amounts of weight, so if it's three times your body weight, even a three pound weight loss is equal to nine pounds of pressure yeah which is that can be enough going to be helpful to get rid of their symptoms fantastic the small small amounts of changes can mean that then they can participate in exercise which mm. is the thing that is yeah. best there for was healthcare. a comment
2: actually i picked up on my instagram not that long ago from a lady who said that she would love to do more exercise because I, I think i was posting pictures of me running or something and no, i was doing um, push-ups actually <laughs> and she said oh, i can't do it i've been told not to because i have a prolapse
1: Yeah. Is that right? Do you need to take extra care if you've got a prolapse with exercise? Not all exercises are pelvic floor friendly. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't do them. It doesn't mean that you can't run. It just means that you might need to adapt, get some advice to adapt what you're doing. Mm -hmm. We don't want women to stop moving because, you know, there's various things you can do. You can get pessaries, which is like a little support ring. That can support the prolapse so that you're still active. So you, and you'd put that in before exercise. Yeah, you get mm. ones that can stay in for three months as well. Oh, that, really? You Get ones that gynaecologists will fit, yeah. and that's been used a lot for um, women that can't have surgery. And now after the mesh has been suspended, yeah. then it's been used more and more. Um, sometimes it's just a matter of adapting the exercise. So what would we the, need to be careful of, do you think, if we had prolapse and we're exercising? Um, well, you can make it worse. Right. So It can. It can generally. Implant, so, yeah. so just
2: any exercise, just be careful.
1: If, you, if you're if you wetting yourself when you're exercising, there's something going wrong with your right. pelvic floor, that you're doing something, that the impact is not being um, supported properly by your pelvic floor. It doesn't mean that you can't do it, but come to click. Because it's not always that it's a weakness. Sometimes it's that the pelvic floor is uh, too rigid. It's not able to relax properly. So it's working right. all the time and it gets tired. So listen to your body mm-hmm. and take action. I don't think it's normal and it's just part of what you need to put up with. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's so brilliant, honestly. I'm so thrilled that we have connected yeah, and, that, and that you have been
1: in. I wish you huge success. Are You going back to Edinburgh next time? Do you think? Uh, I'm not going to go this year because I'm going to I'm going to Australia, um, <laughs> and I um, I'm going to try and get some data to see if it works. Because if you can show that you could use humor as a health promotion tool, then yeah. you can then you can maybe get some proper. Work and can done.
2: women see this? Do you have YouTube or any videos no, I need available? To sort that out. Yes. people you need to share this
1: slow with all that you need to do a show and have somebody have
2: somebody put it up but we can follow you on twitter
1: Mm -hmm. yep and And, um i'm trying to do instagram and i've been doing like a hashtag dry by christmas so when i when i tweet then ideas that you'll be reminded to do your pelvic floor exercises because it's the forgetting that's the challenge yeah so So if we follow you we will hopefully be reminded gussy grips Gusset Grips. Gussie. G-U-S-S-I-E. Grips. Gussie Grips. And when I tweet, you twitch your twinkle. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I'm squeezing as we speak well thank <laughs> you so much it's a pleasure to Thanks have for you having with us. Me on. thank you sadly that is all we have time for today but as always you will find the resources that we've mentioned in today's show over at lizarewellbeing.com where you can also subscribe to the free weekly newsletter for more wellbeing wisdom healthy recipes and exclusive discounts don't miss those do please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast this will ensure that next week's episode is downloaded safely and a huge heartfelt Thanks to all those who have taken the time to leave a review. It really does help other listeners find the show and hopefully so much of the health they may well need. So until next week, go very well. Bye-bye.
0: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.